0: You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming.
1: And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network.
0: All right, look. So here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate. We're here to listen. We're here to process. And we're here to help you process.
1: But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be preachy because we don't have all the answers and we will never make you feel like an outsider.
0: Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person and that starts with our personal, personal check-in. check-in. Let's do
1: it. Jess Averhart. Well,
0: we're back, Rob Shield. We're back. How you doing, friend?
1: We're back again. It's the Christmas season. Hi, I'm doing, I'm doing well. It's so good to see you.
0: You too. You too, friend. I mean, we are days away from Santa Claus coming down chimneys. or magically appearing.
1: Yeah, hey, what's your favorite Christmas movie, by the way? Give give the people what they want.
0: A thousand percent, it is National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. I like it. And a thousand percent, my favorite, you didn't ask me this, but I, I have this running in my head right now is the hippopotamus song. It's my favorite Christmas song. That and Mariah Carey, but I'm kind of over her. I mean, everywhere you go, you hear that doggone Christmas song from Mariah Carey. She,
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and she's made a lot of yeah. great music, but that one, this seems like it's was the, the, la- the, the most I amount mean, of time. I and, don't
0: think anybody really knows. Young people don't even know she has a catalog of pop albums. I think they just think she's a Christmas singer. Like she can't <laughs>
1: think Christmas but, songs. But, but this is not Christmas related. The movie Free Guy uses one of her popular songs and does like a slow rendition of it at the end. It's amazing.
0: I watched that movie and I don't-
1: You didn't recognize re- that was a Mariah oh, Carey song? Well, I'm going to send, you the, did, gonna send you the audio of it. I
0: don't remember. am going to send you the audio Okay, yeah, send it to
1: me. It's really good.
0: Well, was that your check-in? The Mariah Carey's- uh, no, 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 no. That, that y- wasn't my check-in. Version.
1: I guess I'll right, answer we'll my, look- my favorite Christmas movie, the yeah. Santa Claus, Tim Allen version. And- even though I've yep. seen it like every year since I was a kid, I actually found out about the trivia stuff on IMDB, you know, international, mm-hmm. whatever it stands for, movie database. And you can go in and just like learn all this cool stuff about your favorite movies while you're watching. So I'll go on and watch it and like get the, all the behind the scenes stuff as you're watching, which is really fun. So I learned some cool stuff about my my favorite movie that made it feel that. brand new. Yeah, you should do That's it. You should do it for National Lampoon's. you probably find out some crazy stuff because okay. Chevy Chase was a wild dude.
0: Yeah, still is, I think. He probably was a handful
1: on set. You'll probably learn all sorts of stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you. I want to ask you about, I'm going to text you about that later. Like, what okay. did you learn about Check Chase <laughs> when you it looked at paint it?
0: might me. It yeah, might mess me up. That's you know? true. I have to wait till after Christmas just so I That's can recover true. till next
1: year. Yeah, no, but my, so my what, personal so check-in is I'm coming in hot from my four-year-old son's Christmas preschool pageant. So they did like, all they right. all dressed up in nativity characters. He was a sheep who went on strike. So he was, everyone came out in costume and he refused (laughs) to wear the sheep hat. I guess it was too embarrassing. And when he came out, they had hand motions, everything. 95% of the time, his hands were just in his pockets and just kind of like, so he's he's a pioneer. He's a Renaissance man, you know, don't, he's not an actual sheep because he's not going to be shepherded or corralled into doing anything that he doesn't want to do. So maybe he was not cast properly. He should have been like, the star, or a wise man, or something—I don't
0: know. No, he's a renegade. He's his own man. He's his, he's independent. He's a trailblazer. He's an innovator.
1: Yeah. So, what was that this in the is what nativity? Do. I guess this Jesus. Is what
0: do. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> should he have been baby Jesus?
0: <laughs> I think he should have been baby Jesus. Everybody thinks their kids saying. should be baby should Jesus be in the nativity Jesus. scene, right? I'm biased. Although, yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this is this actually should have been the case. Oh well, next year. There's always next year for baby Jesus.
1: There's always, there's always next year. Hopefully he'll he'll get there. He'll get there. Maybe I don't know. This steered this steered in a direction I wasn't prepared for when I was, I was thinking about what I was gonna share. But it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. And I, hey, we're proud parents. Anything your four year old does, your are love, and it's over. The <laughs> so I'll send you guys. I'll send you a text uh, with a video. i yeah. love that. How I are you, my it. friend? How are you, friend? Tell us tell us all the things. I, I kind of got already the Christmas movie. Is that it? And the, sh- and I the mean, song.
0: Well, just, I, you know, it's my favorite season of the year. These are my favorite things. What are the favorite things? Oprah's favorite things? Jess's favorite things? Actually, I'm not, like you, prepared to go down this road because I should be thinking about I don't have a whole list, but we are going. One of my favorite things of the holiday is to go take my mom and my son to the mountains. So we are headed there and we'll be back right before the holiday. So like right before Christmas morning and we're going to Boone. So we're getting ready to head out and do that. So that should be fun. And my son got 4.0 in college. Whoa. So I'm a very happy camper because we're spending a lot of money to send him out of state.
2: Not (laughs) just
0: He came with the goods, baby. He came home with a 4.0.
1: He's not messing around. Did anybody not not break the news to him that he should set the bar low early in college and then exceed it? Like he's doing it the other Mm -hmm. way around.
0: No, no one, no one sets, no one uh, set him up for those. Stop, it's terrible advice. Don't tell my son that. (laughs) The thing that I don't think he realizes is that his dad and I were fully prepared for like maybe all B's or him struggling a little bit because he's in, he's 45 minutes from Miami. He's out of state. And, and not like he's in the middle of Idaho. He's by Miami. And there's so a lot going we on like,
1: besides the libraries. And, there's
0: a lot know. going on besides the libraries. And so we thought, all right, he's gonna take a little while for him to get adjusted and get into this routine. And this kid did, this, did the doggone thing, so we're proud of him.
1: And he might be the most yeah. mentioned person on this podcast, you know? Cause I feel like <laughs> you came out the gate earlier seasons. <laughs> we talked about him as a TikTok star. You and your mom. Right. I still love watching oh, that video. God. Was that's how I, I think I first got introduced to his fame and renown. But he's obviously yeah. so much more than that. You know, he's now a he's four so 0 student, college he
0: student. Has wow. There's substance behind all of that six foot five cuteness that he brings to the table. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of not six foot five, but cuteness and sweet friends, can we move it? Was that a good look transition? at that?
1: That was amazing. Usually oh I'm God. the what one that you? does the bridge and you just killed it. That's you. You got it from now on. You you take that.
0: We got our sweet friend, Maggie Kane on Maggie, you on and tell us how tall are you girl? Girl,
2: I'm five, I'm five, eight, but people say I'm actually five, seven.
0: Yeah. I'm the same way girl. So we're like, you're like five, seven, five, eight of cuteness. Thank you for joining us today. My sweet friends. It's always good. Rob and I are so lucky. We have the most incredible circle of friends just superstars who are doing great things in the mm-hmm. community who took mm-hmm. some time out for us today i just love it maggie thank you so much for taking time and being with us today
2: gosh i am the one that is honored and let me just say jess i think your son was actually baby jesus back in the day <laughs> i think that's where we're at and Rob, that's, you, it, is. that's it
0: is that true, true story? That, but i didn't i didn't want to tell you that rob but my son did play baby jesus and so you know Hey, okay. we've got, we, we got
1: multiple parts in the nativity. We just need to assemble this. I've got <laughs> the sheep right. costume right. is literally right there. I mean, well, let's That's bring right. it.
0: There's more to uh-huh. it than just the babe. That's exactly right. Well, That's Maggie, we, we, you, girl, you have been busy this year. And so I want to introduce you. I mean, so many of our listeners probably know your story, but for those who don't, this is going to be a true treat to learn about you personally, but also just your passion, how it comes to life. Every day, every morning when you open a mm-hmm. place at the table, like you are a place in the community truly and have been for so many years, I remember and I, I'm gonna read your bio in a minute, but I remember when you were raising money when your store was, it was not open, you were out there pitching this idea, trying to get people to understand this concept and so man, you've come a long way, sweet friend. So let me for the for the sake of the podcast and for posterity, let me read your bio. So Maggie's the founder and executive director of A Place at the Table. It's Raleigh's Pay What You Can Cafe. Yes, you pay what you can. She graduated from North Carolina State University in 2013 and began working for a nonprofit with people experiencing homelessness. And she'll share this story in a little bit. She befriended a lot of people who are living on the margins. And she knew at that point that something had to be done. So in February of 2015, a place at the table was birthed and Maggie never looked back. And I can attest that she's never looked back, just keeps growing. And she opened in January of 18, serving thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, I would assume at this point, of people Mm -hmm. in Raleigh with, and you say this a lot, with a dignified and affordable meal. Maggie has a heart to serve and desire to always be inclusive and passion for loving people. You live in Raleigh, you love to jump rope. Rob likes this part. This is his favorite part of all the bios, right? All these like personal things. Loves to jump rope. Eats a large amount of peanut butter. I had no idea. You loved hike in the mountains. Tattoos. Yes, I know that. And all things sunflowers. That's very cool. I mean, you'll find her watching movies in the theater and those big comfy chairs skydiving, girl. We don't have enough time for this. I want to hear more about that. And breaking away for two-day weekend trips, which I love to hear because I'm a big advocate of self-care and I love that you do that. It's important. So friend, why don't you kick us off and tell us about your story and what led you to this work? It's extremely inspiring. And so I love to hear you tell this. So take it away, Uh,
2: friend. Thank you. Thank you, Justin Roth, for having me. I am honored to be here. I don't know how I am following up people like Joy Curry or Terrence Ruth, two of some of my favorite people, but truly I'm so honored to be here and be a part of this. I have hopefully listened to almost every episode. I'm definitely a subscriber and love listening to it every week. So again, so glad to be here. I grew up in Raleigh. Lucky to have grown up in Raleigh still live in Raleigh. Never thought I'd stay though. I grew up in Raleigh with my mom, my twin sister. I have an older brother as well. I kind of kept thinking I was going to leave, had the travel bug, wanted to, to go to school outside of the state. But in-state tuition, can't really beat that. I was fortunate to go to college, fortunate to go to NC State. But while I was there, I was still thinking I was on track to leaving, to moving, maybe signing up for the Peace Corps, Teach for America. I did apply. And to everyone who applies for things like that, oh my gosh, to everyone who goes, total heroes of mine. But I, while I was in school, I found this day shelter that worked primarily with people experiencing homelessness. It was just getting off the ground. It was a place where people could come in and have a place to be on a on a chilly day like today where it's below 50. It actually might be warming up now, but below 50 you could get a cup of coffee, get warm for a little bit and again like I said have a place to be. I as as college is going on, I'm there gearing up towards graduation, still figuring out what I'm going to do. I was I was fortunate to to graduate college and at my college graduation, the day of I had about 10 folks from this day shelter, folks experiencing homelessness, and folks that lived outside come to my college graduation. They showed up, somehow got in the door cuz you know you get the four tickets, five tickets, but they got in and they cheered me on and they stood up there. They were the loudest people in the room and that's when I realized this is the work I need to do right now. So I I kind of formed a job at this day shelter. We didn't really have the funding but made it work and and ran this day shelter. We again, people would come in about 80 to 100 people a day and I started to form serious relationships, serious friendships with folks that, that looked in, and were a little different than me. They were folks that that slept outside or were facing some sort of extreme poverty. And so for them for, for me at least I, I wanted to get to know them. I wanted to continue to get to know them. And in my life getting to know people is done primarily through food, through coffee, through good drinks. And so I started eating with folks in this extreme poverty, which means you eat at the soup kitchen. So we'd walk down to the soup kitchen, we'd stand in line, we'd get inside. And, and once we were inside, we'd get handed a plate. We didn't get to choose what we want because soup kitchens are incredible and they feed hundreds of people every day and they feed what they have. And so we'd sit down, we'd have to eat quickly so someone else could come in and eat. And again, nothing... Two kitchens are incredible. There's nothing wrong with that, but it was so different than my life experience, where I can spend hours with someone. I can, we can order anything we want on the menu, and we can really get to know each other over food. For me, food is that is that tool, as I mentioned a second ago, to getting to know people. And so I started taking people out for meals. I, I would take them wherever they want to go. You know, we were celebrating birthdays, anniversaries, anything like that. And I would say, let's, let's go somewhere. And so we ended up at Golden Corral and K&W Cafeteria, if you remember that. I think RIP, K&W, there may be one left, but we ended up at Golden Corral a lot. And I asked several of my friends who were on the streets at the time, who were living outside, why do we end up at Golden Corral? And my privilege, you know, my privilege of how I grew up, how I was fortunate to be raised was these folks, they want to go to Golden Corral because they are hungry. And here they can load up on tons of food and they can fill their bellies. And multiple of the folks I took out to Golden Corral said, no, that's not the case. We go to Golden Corral because we get to two reasons. We get to choose living in poverty, living in this extreme poverty. People make every choice for you. They, they said to me, they said, Maggie, from what we eat to where we sleep, people make that choice for us. And here I feel valued and seen living in this extreme poverty, people literally step over me. They walk right by me. They ignore me. Here, people see me. I'm valued. I I feel like a real person. People greet us at the door. They come around and check in on us, see if we need a refill. They say, bye as we're leaving. Here, I, I have value. So that was that moment for me where I said, Wow, we really gotta we gotta do something about this. We gotta create a place where all different folks can feel seen and valued and all different folks can come together. I felt so fortunate to be meeting these incredible humans and getting to know their stories, and I wanted others too as well. At the same time, Raleigh, as Raleigh's a great place. I grew up here, as I said, I saw that divide. People with money were going one way and people without money were going the other. Folks in poverty were literally getting pushed out of downtown at the time. So I, I just began thinking we've got to do something different. We've got to do something where everyone feels dignified, welcome, included. So I Googled everything. I Googled social enterprises, restaurants, nonprofits, I found incredible people doing incredible things, right? But I found the pay what you can system. And I found that there were over 15 pay what you can cafes across the country, including John Bon Jovi. I have tried to get him to come to the cafe multiple times. He has never come, but that is okay. One day, maybe he'll listen to this podcast and come see us. But I, I, I really did. I, I saw this pay what you can system. And I said, if it can work in other places, then it can work in Raleigh too. Went to visit the closest one in Boone, North Carolina. So Jess, you're going next week, go visit if you have time. It's incredible. Some of my some of my greatest friends run this cafe, but then the rest was history. I knew in that moment when I visited that Raleigh needs a place like this. I tell you all that background, but really this this restaurant is is because I love people. Um, And I knew that I was put on this earth to love people. My favorite theologian said, Henry Nouwen says that we cannot love issues, but we can love people. And the love of people reveals to us the way we deal with issues. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I'm in this work is because I love people. And I want to create places where other people can love each other too.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. Nice shout out to John Bon Jovi. I feel like wherever you go, you have to say that so that it finds its way in the SEO online. So one he's day. Just like, Everywhere I go, I see that I'm in this search for this Maggie Kane. I'm t- talking about come to Raleigh. Well, Rawlings.
2: I have called. I have emailed. I have asked agents. He came and did a show here, one of his last shows. I don't think he's still performing, but one of his last shows. And we all did this big Twitter campaign. We probably had like 100 followers at the time. But we did this whole Twitter campaign, got everyone to repost it. We had a sign that we posted oh. and it said, all at this long community table, John Bon Jovi, we have a place at the table for you. And so that morning after his show, I see this tour bus coming down the street and I was like, oh my gosh, it's our time. It wasn't, (laughs) it must've been like, you know, some college kids like van or (laughs) something. But anyway, one day, one one day. day. day So rest is history. We opened January 8th, 2018 as a place at the table. Amazing. Love that
0: story. Thanks, Maggie. Yeah,
1: Maggie. I think that that does a really great job. I think and merging your story and kind of just your personal experiences into founding the organization. And we talked to so many founders in the history of the Just Podcast who they are their organization, right? Like it it is an overflow directly of their own lived experience and their heart of seeing a problem up close. We always go back to this kind of Brian Stevenson. Talk about somebody who we've we've been, hey, would love to have him on. Maybe we can pitch them together. Maybe we'll pitch them yes. for each other. Like, hey, Brian, come hang out with John Bon Jovi. We've already got him booked and we'll say the same thing <laughs> to the other I'm one. I am in. Be,
2: yeah, we can do a Twitter campaign to combine both of our 100 I think, followers. I think okay? that's
1: 100% should, should be how we spend the rest of our holiday. Yeah, that's 100%. Right. But you're, you know, so that gets you to 2018. Yes. And there's a lot of layers of this story, right? Because talk about running a restaurant in COVID. We're, I want to get to that because- yeah. That is an industry that has been disrupted in any number of ways, let alone a nonprofit pay-as-you-can model, pay-what-you-can model during COVID. That, that's part two of this question. Part one is I'd love for you to fill in the gap, right? So you experiencing the problem, wanting to start yeah. the organization, getting you to launch the restaurant. All right, that's getting you to 2018. Before we get to March 2020 and all yeah. the pivoting you've done, I wanna talk about the in-between and just a little bit about what the model looked like to experience in the, in the early years you know, there's so many models of giving handouts Mm -hmm. around food distribution for people in need. And many of them are still active. You mentioned that, hey, what you can model, there are many around, but there are far more, far more handout models. Four days away from Christmas, we're on the heels of Thanksgiving, right smack dab in the middle of a holiday season where the volume on handing out food through nonprofits is is really turned up significantly, right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. when people think about nonprofits and the holidays, the image they probably think of is handing out free turkeys, right? I mean, that's kind of the, that's one of the the biggest metaphors that there are symbols or visual images people have. So in the middle of all that backdrop, you're, you know, you use language like it's time to reinvent how we feed those in need. And your story about Golden Corral and your friends in poverty touches on that a little bit. I'd just like for you to lean in a little bit more into that in the early years. How did you... Can you elaborate on what you're reinventing and what you started to reinvent kind of 2018 up until the pandemic, how you saw that play out and really what did that kind of reaffirm this idea and this hypothesis you had? Did it come up against challenges? Just kind of walk us through years one and two.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that question. So I will go ahead and throw this out there that one of my biggest regrets is I have a TED Talk. I'm really lucky to have been chosen to do a TED Talk in Cary, North Carolina, but one of my biggest regrets is that I called it soup kitchen 2.0, which there is nothing wrong with soup kitchens. And I hate that that like has a play on soup kitchens. And, and that is never, that was never my intention at all. There's nothing wrong with soup kitchens. They're incredible. They are a handout and people need food. If we have seen now, you know, we see even more people are hungry and hungry and hungry. So we are in no way slashing soup kitchens or handouts. They are Wonderful we are just doing something a little different. So for us, when you walk into a place of the table, when you walk into 300 West Hargett Street, you see a normal restaurant, we look like any cafe you may go to, we look like any restaurant that may be your favorite for for lunch to go with friends, we look and feel like a regular restaurant, you hear good music, we were talking, you were talking about Christmas music this morning, my one of my baristas was playing the Mariah Carey, the Spotify Christmas playlist and it was not Mariah Carey Jess, it was Ariana Grande. I didn't <laughs> She know keeps she coming Christmas up in songs. this
1: conversation. We're we're just name-dropping, we're shamelessly. We're yeah. trying to get some celebrity guests coming <laughs> oh, on.
2: I <laughs> will say her her Christmas song isn't as good as Mariah Carey's, but so you we hear you hear good music, you smell good food, you wouldn't know where a nonprofit restaurant or pay what you can until you get up to the register. And you see, you see a full menu and you see that all prices are suggested prices. So what that means is Folks can pay the suggested price. They can pay more and pay it forward for other people. They can pay less because we know some weeks are harder than others and all you can do is just pay a couple of dollars or people can volunteer for their meal. So instead of a handout, we're a hand up. So everyone can take part in it. You know, whether you're dining there, volunteering, eating, whatever works for you, donating, you get to take part in this cafe. It is, we really believe we've become Raleigh's Community Cafe, where again, everyone can take in it. So before the pandemic, we were open 2 years and doing pretty well. Every single day we had people coming in and paying the suggested price, paying more, paying less, volunteering. We saw over 80 people a day volunteering for their meal. They were coming in because they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to to be in relationship with other people. Our mission is community and good food for all regardless of means. And so we we do that and there's a reason why community is first. And everything we're doing, whether we're eating together or volunteering together, we are building that community that we all need in life. And so I'll tell you a quick story, a reason again why we're different. We have a guy whose his name's Dave. He's been coming to us right as soon as we opened. He was day one, showed up wanting to get a meal and volunteer. And so he would order a waffle, order whatever he wanted. He'd sit down and then he would do dishes for hours. And so as he is doing dishes, he's not really saying much. couple months go by. He starts talking more. More and more months go by. And then you can't really shut him up. He's making friends with everyone. He really is there. Some days he didn't even eat. He really is there for the relationships, for the for the people. He was a part of our team, pandemic hits. And I know we'll probably get into this a minute, but pandemic hits and we don't see him at all because we turn to all curbside, um, and do only takeout. And we do not see Dave at all. He does not come by. And then as soon as we reopened post pandemic, while we're still living in this pandemic, but as soon as we reopened, Dave shows back up and he starts volunteering again. Some days he eats some days he doesn't right. So that is what we were doing. We are creating a place for people to feel like it is their family, that they are welcome. They, as soon as anyone walks in the door, we are hugging you. We are loving you. You are a part of the table family.
0: Wow. I love that story about Dave. That's a perfect example of what you've built. So organically, I'm sure it's a big surprise. and not a surprise, but these stories, you can't be sure what the impact you'll have until you can put a name on it and see someone like Dave just enjoy the family that you've created and that your whole team has created, Maggie, and he's part of that. So you're talking about this impact of COVID. It was on my mind, you personally, and a place at the table were on my mind right when COVID hit, because I just kept thinking about the stories and the headlines. What is that impact, particularly for a model that is so distinct and so unique as yours? Like what how how does it affect you all? And is how different would that impact be? So Talk to us. And I know you have some stats because I asked you a a while back, like what the numbers were. And then I want... So I'd love to hear that because I think people don't understand the impact and some of the sacrifices that you had to make. And in particular, the decisions that you had to make. So as a leader, as a founder, you have to sit with these sort of choices, these crucible moments. And you have to ask yourself, well, what's in the best interest of those that we serve and make sure that we keep our doors open to continue to serve. So why don't you talk about the impact, but then also like, maybe talk to us about those quiet moments that you had for your leadership, like those decisions that you had to make and how you how you were able to navigate that.
2: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that question. COVID was really hard on everyone. And it was it was definitely hard on our team on our cafe. People don't get into the restaurant business because they want to make a lot of money because they want to have a good quality of life, right? You got to really love it. And restaurants were, were hit hard during the pandemic. So as I said, we shut down. We did not close. We just turned curbside. So we shut down the inside of our cafe and our team, our team came together and actually, you know, all agreed. We want to be here. We want to feed people. We saw the the big hunger need, as I mentioned earlier, More and more folks were coming to our door. More and more folks were hungry. More and more families were showing up. And we really knew we needed to stay open to feed people. Ironically, we became the soup kitchen because the soup kitchen shut down for a while to reevaluate. So for about six months, we fed upwards of about 400, 450 people every single day, a curbside takeout meal. Our model, I know I have financial people on here. Prior to the pandemic, about 60% of our customers paid for their meal or more 40% of people volunteered or paid less. Pandemic hits, 450 free meals a day and 0% of paying customers. Okay, maybe 99.9% of of non-paying customers and like 0.001. And it was like my mother who would drive through. And so we did all free meals for folks. And Honestly, we were overjoyed to do it. We knew we needed to do it. Again, we wanted to really feed folks. It allowed us to up our partnerships with lots of other organizations in the Triangle. So we now partner with about 20 other organizations in the Triangle to get meals to folks. So that was such a, a positive bonus and a, a way we were able to build even more relationships. But we did, after about six months of that many meals, we realized that this is not our mission. It is not sustainable to continue this way. Our staff was wearing down. Things were Things were just not good. It was getting a little violent, to be completely honest. So we shut down for about a month. We reevaluated and we found a way to get back to our mission, adding volunteers back, adding folks paying less back. And so we reopened about a month after that and have been great ever since. We're inside, we're thriving, we're, we're really still feeding a ton of people as well as, as even more importantly, providing a place that the Daves of the world really feel welcome. I'd say, so you also asked me what I learned throughout this time about myself, maybe about my leadership. I guess I'd start with what I learned about myself. And this may sound super simple, but life is really short. I, I definitely learned that. I have been going, going, going. Jess, you've known me for years. I have not stopped. And I just, during the pandemic, my dad actually passed away of COVID. And I normally wouldn't bring this up, but his funeral was, you know, about two months ago. And while we certainly had our challenges, it made me realize that that life is so short. I've spent so long pouring into work and only work that I just, I know that I don't want to miss another birthday. I don't want to miss another friend's wedding or big life moment. If this pandemic has taught us, it's taught us that that life is short and that we've got to live each day because we never know what's going to happen. And that life is about our people and it's about spending time with your people. So the work will always be there, but your people won't. So I think that's what I learned about myself. And I'm definitely making more time for myself. And we mentioned earlier that, you know, self-care, I'm definitely trying to prioritize that. I think I rewrote the bio post-pandemic. So it was not like that before. As for leadership, I think that leadership is such a privilege. And I feel that way. I feel like you have to be the leader that you want your team to be. So what you're asking your team of, if I'm asking my team to take time off, I got to take time off. So I think the second thing is that the team comes first. My team... A Place at the Table's team, which now we have 20 employees, which is wild, is why Table works. It's why we are able to do what we do. From day one of the pandemic, I sat down with all of them and I said, we will close right now if you guys do not feel comfortable, right? I sat down with everyone and asked, be honest, should we be open? Should we not? All 20 folks said, we have to be here. And all 20 of my amazing staff have big ideas and better ideas than I do. We have a great human on staff. His name's Devon, he's 23 years old, he's brilliant. He has this dream of working with kids in the school system and teaching them life skills. He's taught me that over the past six months, he's taught me so much and changed the way that we do things. He's challenged me to make table better, to make it more dignified. And so I just I just feel like my leadership, I've learned that it's better when you work with your team. It's better when you truly listen and step back and and listen to the great ideas that other people have. So many more things I can keep going, but I know that we don't have all day. I
1: love that Maggie. I, honestly, I'd love to lean in more on that and pull that thread. You, you, you kind of talk about preserving the dignity of people, the dignity of those you serve, being more people-centric in your own leadership, in how you you serve your own team and how necessary just people are that fuel the mission. Yeah. And and it's not people are not an in and a means to an end and that you just use them up to get to a greater good. No, they're they're the end game and they're they're what matter. Yep. Right. And if you lose sight of that, you can end up I've heard it said you can end up being a vampire, right? Where you're just kind of you're suck, sucking the blood of people, you know, and at their expense to get done what you wanna get done. Yep. That's not really a Christmas theme metaphor, <laughs> but that's the one that came to mind. Sorry, it's a, little, it's a couple months after Halloween, but but dignity, yep. let's talk about it. So one, this is, this is really a hot button topic in the sector that you're in, right? Yep. And by sector, I don't mean nonprofit, but just like the food industry, the nonprofit food industry, because that's a common critique of food-based nonprofits is that it can, now I say can, can create a dependency that diminishes dignity. When you're talking about handouts, like right? just over and over again, maybe making assumptions about people that they can't bring anything to the table, right? And that they can only receive, and then we just need to do that over and over again. If you do that, that can diminish dignity. You're tackling the problem of hunger and food insecurity through an intentionally different approach. My question to you is, does that issue still pop up? Yeah. Even though you're trying to combat it, This is the lens. We talk, I mean, you're you're trying to change the lens. And man, changing lenses, when people are used to a certain way, maybe they got their last meal at a place that diminished their dignity. They're bringing in that worldview to a place at the table. They're coming to Hargett Street with that, whether you have the best of intention or not. So my question is, does it still happen? And if so, how have you addressed that? How have you combated it? Because I imagine it's not just, well, just because we say we put dignity on the wall, this doesn't, this isn't an issue. So that's the first part of the question. And the second part is like, what's the vision that you're working towards for the people that you serve for people who are in material poverty to move past where they are so that this isn't something where they have to come and eat there for free forever? What is your goal and how do you get them there?
2: Yeah. Great question. I love this question and, and super honest, super transparent. We notice every single day things that we are doing that is not ensuring dignity of folks. And we try to own it. We call each other out on it. We talk about it as a staff. We actually shut down quarterly. We pull the team together. We talk through what's working, what's not. We talk about how we can make this place more dignified, how we can do this work better. And again, like I said, we call each other out. We want to be the most dignified place in Raleigh, where you walk in and you really feel you feel welcome. We learn from other organizations and leaders in this community. We go and visit them regularly so our staff goes on field trips and we ask questions, we see what they're doing and try to bring it back to to again, make us better. I know that before I leave before, you know, whatever is next. I also know that eventually I do need to leave. So another awesome leader can come in and make this place even better, even more dignified. But I know before I leave, I'm going to make sure this place is a di- as dignified as possible. I've always said that I'd rather us be doing everything possible for things to be equitable and inclusive for the next five years than not to be for the next 20. I'd rather pay our staff a living wage for two years than to be open for 30 paying menial wages, right? So things like if I was given an example, we have multiple examples, but the token people. So for all who do not know, we have this token. It's a wooden chip. It's a free meal for folks in this community, 100 people a day. Use this token, and they love it. Lots of people with means and and wealth love this token too, and they love buying them. It's gimmicky. It's fun. I'm on a popular uh, magazine with my tatted arm holding all these tokens. People with money love the tokens, but it's not dignified. It's it's I'm in line, and I'm using a credit card, and then someone behind me is using a token. It's still there is still a divide between people. So we really as a team are are meeting regularly to discuss what do we do? How can we do this? And how we can create a place where there is no divide. That was a long answer to your question, but we we really want this place to, even if we only last another year, which we have a 10 year lease, hopefully that's not the case. But even if we do, it's got to be it's gotta just be the best it can.
0: I love that. Thanks, Maggie. I was thinking about the fact that you are so intentional about meeting with your team and regularly auditing how you move and your business practices. And where I was thinking about is just like, I don't know how, you know, as a founder, as an owner of my own business, it actually is fairly convicting because we're moving so fast and you're in like this COVID, post COVID environment where things are moving so quickly that you may not, you can use it as an excuse not to take the time to audit and to reevaluate and make adjustments. And I think it's just really, and I don't know that I've done that. I don't do that regularly. We do it almost as it's needed, like when the fire, when something's on fire. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate the way that you really center your core values around this and, and around dignity, but also really seeing all of your patrons equally. There's equity there and making sure that the practices stay in step with that. So, and, and then you're not perfect, but I love the fact that you, you own that, right? You own that as a business owner and as a founder taking your organization to the next level. So well done. As I get into this next question, this whole season has been sort of grounded in this idea of fusion friendships. It really starts with Rob and I. I mean, they're every week. We're very different people, but we have commonalities. And so there's more alike about Rob and I than than are different, right? Which I think is beautiful. And I think that's probably the case across all lines. I mean, if people would just sit down and and talk about it, talk about who they are and what their backgrounds are, where their passions lie so I'm,
1: if they'd only just come to the table,
0: find their place at the table. Thank you, Rob. See, this is why we work. So Maggie, I would <laughs> love to hear, cause I bet you have so many examples of this. In fact, I can think of some, but you have so many examples of this, right? A fusion yes. friendship where yes. there's differences, but your passions align you.
2: Yeah. Every day, all day with so many people, it's, it's incredible. We, I actually have one of my staff is a good friend of mine and every day we end up talking on the phone at the end of the day. Did you remember what this happened? Do you remember what this person said? But so I actually have two because I didn't, Rob, I didn't answer your last, the last question you had. I, skipped over it by accident. But to your point about what is next for folks is similar to this. It's just reminded me of it. We have this guy named Howard. He, I've known him for about 10 years actually, because again, I've been lucky to do this work, working with people on the streets for 10 years. And while we don't just See just folks on the street, obviously. We, you know, Howard is one of those guys. He's one of the guys that has lived in a tent for the past 30 years and he is okay with it. But he started coming to me a couple months ago and he said, Maggie, I really, I really want to work. Like I'm ready to work. I'm ready to have a house. I'm ready to, to move up. I'm ready to start doing things that are and I don't, I don't ever you know, judge someone, if he wanted to live in a tent for 10 years, that's great. Like he loved it. And so he started coming to me and he showed up every single day and said, Maggie, I want to work. I want to work. I want to work. And so I called uh, my my buddy, Dean Ogan, who owns Rocky Top Catering. So plug for him. If anyone needs catering, it's Rocky Top. And I said, look, I know you're always hiring. And I know that it's hard to, you know, give folks a chance who may not have worked in 30 years. Would you give my friend Howard a chance? And he said, absolutely. And so with being as big as Rocky Top is, there's so much paperwork. There's so many different things. We really bypassed a lot of that. He pulled a lot of strings. We helped him open a bank account. And Dean was doing this along with me. Dean sat down with Howard over and over, chatted with how he's doing, what's going on. We connected him to Southlight, an organization that will help him get housing. And so I kid you not, Howard has showed up every day to his dishwashing job and loves it. And, and Dean loves him and Howard loves Dean. And it's been just re- really incredible to watch these these different friendships, like in, in other way, friendship work and move. It's just really neat. But another story I'll tell you, we have Wake Tech Culinary at table at night. So they use Wake Tech Culinary School uses a place of the table's kitchen at night when we're closed. And that's been a cool partnership and relationship to have. It's making culinary accessible to everyone. You know, Wake Tech is way the... Like way out there, right? It's like, feels like you gotta hop on four buses to get out there. So, they wanted a space downtown where people could, who rode public transportation, who lived downtown, could have culinary be accessible and have maybe jumpstart a second career, maybe learn how to cook and get a job in a restaurant. So, we had this guy who volunteered with us regularly. His name's Danny. He started, he he wanted to sign up for Wake Tech. So we sat down, we filled out his paperwork and Wake Tech also did it for free this semester and are doing it for free next semester too. But we filled out his paperwork. He started taking the class and he made it to every class four nights a week. That guy who lived in a hotel east of town showed up to take this class. He would send me pictures of his, loaves of bread of his croissants, every single day. And so the day before the last class, he texted me and he said, Hey, Maggie, I hate asking you because I know you're busy. But do you think you could pick me up? I you know, we had to take home our sourdough bread and start it and put it in a bowl. And I didn't want to take this big bowl of bread on the bus. And could you pick me up and take me so my bread will be good for class? So you better believe it. He was waiting outside with his big bowl of sourdough bread <laughs> and he got in my car and he showed up to that class awesome. and he graduated from Wake Tech Culinary. It was just awesome. such a cool moment. And Danny still comes every day and tells me what the things he makes, the jobs he's applying for. So it's it's a really neat place that allows folks from all different areas to come together. And, you know, where else would I see Danny? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Like, and, and so... Anyway, that, there's a lot of fusion friendships happening and I'm I'm lucky to be a part of it.
0: Mm. Love this. This is so good right before the holidays. Doesn't it make, make you happy? These are the great stories, Maggie. Mm-hmm. This
1: is, it's awesome. And and it's so, I, I think it just, it really rings so authentic, Maggie, because these are your, this is your day. These are your experiences, yeah. right? I mean, this is, you, this is not you pontificating at a 10,000 foot level about a problem that is distant. That proximity theme is one that we've carried from the very beginning of this podcast. And you're living it. You're living it, which is why you're not talking about clients. You're talking mm-hmm. about friends. You're talking about family. Mm-hmm. You're you're talking about brothers and sisters, people who, and you're talking about mutually beneficial relationships. And that that you can tell, you can you can hear that because you're talking about the things that you're able to make possible for others, but you're spending more time talking about the things that they're teaching you. Absolutely. And that man, that mutual dependency. That's just so refreshing because I feel like those examples in the space that you occupy, I know it, it, it takes work. It takes work to fight for models that preserve the dignity of the people that you serve. And it takes humility to have a lens of saying, what can I show up today to learn? Not what can I show up to give? Yes, you have things to give, but it feels like the posture in which you're taking it is, what are our customers have to teach me today? And you're excited. You're excited to learn those
2: lessons. The best part about my job, it's not a job, truly.
1: Part. I love it. It doesn't sound like a job. It you, it does not sound like one at all. And man, I I wish more people had had the blessing and the privilege right. to be able to to see their work that way. Right. You know, and it sounds like you clearly do. So, for people who are inspired, you know, like us, like Jess and I, I, I know we're not the only two by this conversation, and they want to take yeah. a step. What would it? What's just one thing that people can do? We're four days before Christmas, yeah. right? You know, so I, I imagine this is probably not like a a blitz. You know, ride the wave. Of the holiday action step, but maybe just something that even if they're hearing this in the new year, what's one thing that people can do to show up and take a step to get involved directly with a place at the table if they are local to the Triangle here in, in North Carolina, and maybe and or if they're not, wherever their context is. You yeah. know, we have listeners from all across the nation, all across the world, actually, who are listening. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they found us as a place-based podcast here in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, but what's a way that people can step, step up and get involved in the kind of work that you're doing where they yeah,
2: are? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think first, like just in life in general, how you can show up and get involved is, is show up for your friend, your neighbor, someone in your life, you know, mail a card to someone, send an email checking in on someone, call someone different once a week. You got to take care of your people. I, I, you know, if this pandemic has taught us anything, you know, I said earlier that, that life's too short, but It's really taught us that people are lonely uh, and that we need each other. We at Table are fighting food insecurity, but we're also fighting community insecurity, that loneliness. So I think that one thing is just to love your people and find people that love you. Life is better in community. Life is better when we do it together. And and as for Table and or any other organization that is similar is just get involved, right? Show up, sit at the table. If it's a food bank or if it's a... Animal shelter. Just show up and be present with whoever is there. There's some pretty, pretty miraculous things that can happen when you're just present and present in the moment. So I really think it's it's being present, it's showing up, and it's it's loving people. Life is too short, and we got to do this together, and because it's a lot better when you do it together, more, way more fun too. And better, it's way more, more fun. fun. Yeah,
0: love it. Mm. I love that. So good. Mm. You
1: sound like you're having fun, Maggie, and we had. A lot of fun just listening to more of, of your experience. I know we've been following your story for some time, but just to hear it end to end, you know, and just in, in one sitting is a blessing. And I hope that people are local do take you up on that yep. offer to come to the table and or to create that table in their, in their context, if yep. they're not. And anyone can, it's like, not trying to do you a disservice, but like what you're doing isn't no. something that can't others can't Absolutely. do, right? I mean, like you, you are uniquely you. Nobody can be a Maggie Kane but don't try to be a Maggie Kane, but they can take the values you're upholding and they can replicate them in their context, which is really inspiring because it's not, it's not something that people can just listen to this and be like, wow, that's good for her, but I could never be like that, right?
2: And you can call me and I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll give you all the documents. I'm not, I'm not going to come open a pay what you can cafe in your town, but I when will. When you're
1: not, when you're not rocking out b- backstage with John Bon Jovi, no. right. And Mariah Carey, you'll, you'll take the call unless you're on stage, unless they pull you out for that I, solo, mm, then you might have to call. Don't them. worry.
2: I would still take the call. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> yeah. that,
1: that. Okay. I love all right. It. We'll have to fight. If that ever happens, we'll That's test right. you. But it's I not going
2: to happen. I think. I, I think. I think it's happening to Jess right now. So I'm just. Follow, I'm just <laughs> cheering her on.
1: Oh, oh! I think Maggie. The one thing you and I both agree on is of the three of us, the person that's more likely to happen to is is a Jess. Everhart, right? I mean, like she,
2: in my dream. if someone's
1: getting pulled up on a Mariah Carey floor, it's not. It's not going to be me. I'm at the bottom of that list, but I think well, Jess hey, is at the top. <laughs> Rob,
2: if your son is baby Jesus next year, you may be top of the list. Oh, it that's is.
1: true. That's that true. Uh, it's all, there we go. Coming back full, full circle. circle. Maggie Kane. Maggie Kane, hey, thank you. So thank you so much, friend, well, for being a guest on the Jess Podcast. It was a privilege. Hey, it was
2: privilege, yeah. it was privilege on my end. Thank y'all so much for letting me follow, as I said earlier, Tantruth and Joy Curry and all the incredible other speakers that you guys have. Y'all you, you all are y'all are a great team and I love listening to you each week. Thank you, Maggie. Oh, well,
1: it's it's a joy. And you people like you are the ones that make it special, right? Exactly. I mean, you, you named a few. There's been a 50 plus that it's just amazing, Jess. You talk about it. it's a deep well in, in our area yeah. of people who are just doing amazing work. We're lucky. And yeah. it sounds like you're connected to uh, a good bit of them. And so I hope you Honor. have a great Christmas. Y'all Merry Christmas too. to you and for all our listeners, right? Yeah. Merry Christmas
0: for the Jess Merry podcast. Christmas, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Well, Maggie Kane, everybody. Maggie, Kane. Maggie Man, Kane. I mean, she's something else. She's a little fireball. If and Red, Red Bull
1: was done. a person,
0: <laughs> yes
1: it'd be we Maggie Kane I feel Maggie like she King. should yeah. while we're while we're just making these random shout outs in this episode shamelessly yep. we should be like hey plug for trying to get Red Bull to be a sponsor of this because she feels like she'd be a great spokeswoman she's just got it so much great. energy it's amazing it it's like you want to go and just go accomplish your day after spending time with her right it's infectious
0: yeah yeah I mean it's like she channels her power for good so it's like everybody has this like their secrets off Maggie's is all like she's channeled it, hyper focused it for good, which is why she's able to get so much done. I love that. So what was your big takeaway when you think about that interview? What's the thing that, you know, so much of it stands out to me? Like yeah. and, you yeah, know, what's the big what's the thing for you?
1: Well, she was an amazing storyteller, right? I mean, yeah. she and she talked yes, about TED Talk. Is. So, you she know, is. the the TED Talk that rules them all, our boy, Brian Stevenson, you know, when you do the research on his Ted talk and why it's the most successful in Ted history. It's because he spent 60% of his talk telling stories. And I feel like that's a gift that she has that makes, you know, the model really come to life is that she's, she's an amazing storyteller and that that's how people, that's how people get inspired. And and like us, like right now, we want to go because we're, because she spent most of the time, not reading stats, but just telling stories. And that's just kind of how, it's how the human mind works. So honestly, the the big one of the biggest takeaways was that story about Golden Corral. I think it hits a lot of notes on the misperceptions that people from privilege, like myself, that never experienced material poverty, oftentimes the danger of what we can assume when we're not in close proximity and we don't we don't have friendships with people who are in material poverty is that they just need stuff. They just need stuff. Yeah. If you just throw stuff at them. And this is the holiday season, right? I think we still live this way a lot of times culturally is if we don't know poor people, we just think that poor people just need stuff. And when that Golden Corral story, talking about how her friends who are in poverty, she thought they want a Golden Corral because they just you know need stuff. You know, that, that's part of it. They're hungry, yes. But the things that seemed more meaningful, that were more meaningful to them were the dignity that it restored for them of feeling seen, of the power to choose right, of being yeah. able to control the own narrative of their own story a little bit, instead of just always having stuff thrown at them or their life being dictated for them by society and the limitations of their financial situation. But they felt like they had value, and mm-hmm. that is more important, but you're not having to choose either or, you know? And I think that's, oftentimes I just think we we just don't view this issue of poverty through a, the holistic lens and the nuance lens that it is. And I think it's because we're relationally poor, And that we don't have friends with people who we don't have stories like that in our own lives. Mm -hmm. And so we make assumptions Mm -hmm. and then that causes us to be ill-equipped to actually help contribute to solve the issues. Because there's not enough tools in our tool bag, Jess. So that for me, that was convicting because it was, I just can think back on a lot of my faulty worldview when it comes to poverty. And it just feels, it feels so much more limited than the fullness of the way she carried herself in that conversation and the way she viewed poverty, it feels like she's painting in much more broad brushstrokes of serving the whole person.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that struck me too. And I, I think we both have heard that story a few times. Knowing Maggie again, you, you, she leads with her why, and it comes from that wellspring that that story, right? That moment in time for her, and and so I'm always struck by that. It always can, it continues to be compelling. This idea of choice. And how, like you said, throwing things at people is, does not replace people having the ability to make a choice in their life to go do a thing where they're seen and heard. And, and we can't forget that. I think the other piece that for me, you know, just Maggie as an individual, you know, Maggie's young. If you watch the YouTube, you'll, you know, I don't know what her age is. I think I have an idea. Sure I sure do know. But if, but if you look at the YouTube, you'll see she's fairly young. She's even younger when she decided this was a problem and she decided to change it. And it's the reason I admire her so much, because so many of us, it's it's easy to make excuses. We can come up, every one of us can make reasons why we won't do a thing today, but we'll do a thing tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or we see a problem or challenge in our community today, and we'll work on that next year. And what I love about Maggie, and frankly, I think this is why she is so endearing to so many people, is that she she embodies the action that so many of us wish we can take or wanted to take or feel like we should take in, in other ways, like the passion that she exudes and the, the impact that she is making every single day could still just be a notion. It could have still just been left at the mm-hmm. table over that lunch with her friends. And it didn't. It's it materialized into this, this community center. And I mean, a center of the community mm-hmm. of Raleigh. And I think that's powerful. And it's not a shaming moment or a critique frankly, for those of us who are listening who haven't done a thing, it should be an inspiration that at any point we can choose to make a difference, that we can really choose to change the world around us in our own special ways. And we have to connect our why to the work and watch things happen. Mm. Like magic will come from that. And, and if you doubt it, listen to the podcast again, because yeah. Maggie is the example.
1: Yeah, I love how she said, you catch that phrase where she said, we're fighting food insecurity, but we're also fighting community insecurity because mm. the pandemic has taught us that people are, are really lonely. lonely. and lonely. That kind of yeah. ties back into what I was sharing earlier, Jess, because it feels like I, when I view people who are in material poverty, people who are suffering from hunger, who cannot afford a meal, seeing food insecurity, like I usually see what they're lacking and what I have that they need, but usually hey. I'm not holding up a mirror to see how I actually am coming and seeing them not through the full lens of who they are as a whole person, because I actually am community insecure. And yes. I am actually, I need relationships with them to be able to see the whole playing field, see what's really going on in our community, yeah. what's really going on with them. And, we, and this is a throwback to uh, to KJ Hills, doing a needs assessment, a needs audit, right, of your network. But really like doing that with yourself, I think that, if, if I were to encourage our listeners to do something from this conversation, in addition to what Maggie challenged us with, it was like, kind of take a look in, in the mirror and say, where what are what am I missing? Not just, because yeah. the holidays are a really popular time to look at what people who are food insecure, what they're missing. It feels like we shine a light on the fact that they don't have food. And yes, that is true, but there's a whole lot more to that story. And usually we don't see ourselves as someone who's an, also needy in that story or in need.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: But that's not true. I totally agree. That's not true. And we're not gonna we're not gonna really contribute in meaningful ways if we don't start with knowing yourself and knowing where maybe where you've got a need. And maybe it's with a relationship with someone who's of different financial means, different socioeconomic level than you, where you're gonna ag- address the community insecurity within yourself yeah. as you help address the food insecurity of your neighbor.
0: Yeah, again, I think for example. If you doubt what Rob is saying around the community insecurity or relational insecurity, again, the podcast is a perfect example. You can, even if you aren't watching it on YouTube and you're listening to this in your car, you probably could tell that Maggie is lit up. She lights up over her relationships, over the friendships that she's developed through her work. And that is an example of why putting the effort and investing time in people and in your community. Will change you. Yes. Because it it's, it it it's not transactional.
2: It's not transactional. It did not yes. seem like this was it's just like,
0: heart.
1: yeah, I give this, I get that, that's yes. yeah,
0: fine. That's a heart moment. And we all need that, right? And we want that and we're starving for it. So many of us definitely are starving for it. And so many of us don't have it mm. that, that we don't even remember what it's like. So we've normalized, we've normalized the feeling. It's like when the sick person's been sick for, they are chronically sick, they don't know how it feels to be well. And mm-hmm. I think just again, the example that Maggie gave, just her energy, she talks with her eyes are really bright. She's just happy. And that, and she said, I'm not making all this money in the restaurant business, you're not making a ton of money. So it's not that that's driving her, it's the fact that she's built a family and mm. she's she's in step with her fulfillment, you know, her fulfillment in this world, which she's awesome, you know, mm. it's great. That's why we love her.
1: Wow, well, what a what a great Christmas week episode, right? getting me in the right spirit for the season for sure. Kind of have that other's mindset heading into the holiday and then hey for our listeners stay tuned for one more episode before the the new year and then after in 2022 we're going to be working on uh, that that John Bon Jovi, Mariah Carey Mariah Carey and Brian Stevenson, uh, guest panel podcast I and it's going to be amazing.
0: It's going to be something.
1: It's going to be <laughs> It's going to be something. <laughs> yeah. Woo. We're going to need all that time to something. think about the the right questions. For what that conversation will be. Man, Mm -hmm. our buddy Chris Popular is going to have a hard time coming up with a title for that one. That's our, he's he's, he's up to the task though. I think he can handle
0: it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, Merry Christmas, friend. Merry Christmas to you. Enjoy those kiddos. You guys, I I hope there's just so much fun and laughter and squealing on Christmas morning under the tree. All the things. It's going to be You too.
1: You too. I hope it's a joy. And I I know it will be. And grateful. Grateful
0: for you. You as well, friend. We'll see you soon. Till next time. All right. Thanks so much for listening to Just. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review.
1: Many thanks to DJ p Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.